One five-star service from a financial institution you can trust? Whitney Bank has you covered with nearly 200 locations across the Gulf South. So stop by today. Learn more at HancockWhitney.com. Member FDIC. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Additional support comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette. From Café Vermilionville in Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Professor of Finance and Director of the award-winning Birken Road Reports, Peter Raschuti. It's business, Acadiana style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. You might have heard of a recent study about chocolate milk. Although it sounds absolutely preposterous, this perfectly legitimate study found that 7% of the American public believes that chocolate milk comes from brown cows. 7% of the population is around 20 million people. Although it sounds laughable, the explanation offered for what seems like extraordinary ignorance is that so many of us live so far away from the source of our food, we no longer know what it looks like in the raw form. Take another example, salt. You go to the store, you buy salt, you use it with just about everything you eat, especially in cooking, but do you ever think of where salt comes from? Jeremy Connor does. Uh, Jeremy lives here in Lafayette, but grew up in Pensacola, Florida. Jeremy still goes back to Pensacola regularly, and when he does, he fills up a specialized container with 275 gallons of seawater. Jeremy trucks that water back to Lafayette through a process of evaporation and dehydration. He turns Pensacola seawater into salt. He packages it and sells it under the name Cellar Salt. Jeremy, welcome out to lunch. Thanks, nice to be here. Phil Grimion is a Lafayette native with an equally fascinating food product. Phil's company, Papa G Bear, is a spice company unlike any other in the world. Phil is the planet's only commercial farmer of a native Louisiana pepper called the Peter Pepper. It's an extraordinarily hot pepper. By some estimates, is 10 times hotter than a jalapeno and literally too hot to handle. When Phil harvests and processes the peppers, he has to wear gloves and a gas mask. But even this sci-fi image of harvesting peppers in a hazmat suit isn't what sets Phil's Peter Peppers apart from other peppers in the world. The most significant trait of these peppers are their shape. They're called a Peter Pepper because they look like a penis. At this point, if you're not driving or lifting weights at the gym, go to our website, itsacadiana.com, and take a look at the photo of Phil's paddock of Peter Peppers. Phil Gremion, welcome down to lunch. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> Jeremy, when I think of salt coming from the ocean, my mind conjures up a picture of deep ocean water way out in the middle of nowhere. When I think of putting salt on my food that comes from the same water, I watch five-year-olds and frat boys frolicking in the Pensacola surf. Well, it, it just doesn't seem quite the same somehow. The thought of putting on my beans, what comes out of the ocean somewhere between Regency Towers and Peg Leg Pete's, uh, brings me to two questions. One, is it legal? And the other is, is it nutritional? Now, legally, who owns the ocean at the seashore? Is it perfectly legal to back up your pump and pull out as much water as you want out of the sea at Pensacola? And nutritionally, we all know what goes on at the beach. For one, people are going into the water covered with sunscreen, and we don't need to get 
into details over lunch about bodily fluids, but are you required to have any kind of FDA certification to sell salt? Well, absolutely. You're, you're required to, um, you know, if you want to sell any sort of food product in a, a wholesale manner where someone else is going to sell it after you've sold it to them, then you need to be a licensed food manufacturer. And um, the, you know, the very first step that I encountered when I pursued that was to explain to you know, the regulators how I was going to do this. And uh, they had many of the same questions you do. And it's, uh, you know, it's not a long process um, akin to opening a restaurant. You, know, you have to demonstrate that you have a, a sanitary facility in which to make food. And um, you, know, you have to also demonstrate that you have a, a processing plan to make this product and you have uh, anticipated potential hazards and you have controls in place to monitor them and uh, corrective action you plan to take if you encounter these hazards. So. And legally, is it okay to go take water? It absolutely is. Okay, I figured that was the, uh, yep. it seems like there's a lot of it. Yeah. Well, now Phil, there is a huge market for hot peppers in, in all kinds of forms, most of it in the form of sauce that's used as a garnish on cooked foods or as dried flakes and powder used in preparing food. Other than the taste of your Peter peppers, which are super hot, the main differentiation you have for your product over hundreds of other competitors is the fact that in nature, the pepper on the plant looks like a penis. Now, given that most people aren't seeing that, and apparently 7% of them couldn't even tell you that a pepper starts out as a plant, <laughs> how would you use the unique quality of Peter pepper to market it? Well, one of the unique parts about it is that it's very hot, 10 times hotter than a jalapeno. However, it also doesn't linger. It goes away real quick. The heat? The heat. You get the fire right away when you taste it, and then it, it dissipates pretty quick. It's not like Tabasco or Habanero where it burns your mouth for hours and hours. You get the heat, and then it goes away. So when I started making the seasoning, <coughs> I put quite a bit in it. But not too many people could eat it because it was still very hot. So I toned it back until where people started liking it, and then I hit on this formula, and the rest is history. We, you know, make it, and people love it. And some people say it's still as hot, but they realize right after that it goes away. And what made you want to grow these particular kind of peppers? How'd you hear about it? Well, my dad used to grow them, but uh, in those days everybody just grew them for show. It was just an ornamental pepper, too hot to eat. So people would just grow them, and my dad would grow them and give them away. Look at this, hey, look at this, <laughs> look at this. That is an odd gift, but and yeah. So I started growing them, and I said, well, I cooked a lot, and I said, I'm going to learn how to cook with these. So I dried them to a powder and cooked with them, but like I said, people said it was too hot. So that's when I started mixing other ingredients in there to tone it down and help balance the flavor for meats and fish and everything. And we have in there is papaya. Papaya is a natural meat tenderizer, and it's very sticky and we also use a lemon powder. Now you've heard of lemon powder, lemon seasoning, lemon pep. You look at those bottles in the store, very few of them have actual lemon powder in there. They put citric acid or, uh, or citric oil, or derivatives, and we put the actual, as a matter of fact, we grow the lemons ourselves, and then we dry them and crush them to a powder and then blend it and mix it with the seasoning. All this is going on where? On our farm in, in Doucan, on, on wow. West Congress Street. That is, that is pretty great. Now. I've got to ask, well, ask you both, uh, how do you sell the, this? I mean, there's a big battle for shelf space and, and grocery stores and all. What, wh how do you do it? Social media? Absolutely. But you still have to go, for instance, to grocery stores and restaurants and pitch it, right? Well, absolutely. So, you know, we're, we're a 
a very, very small company and it's a boutique product. It's, it's sea salt from the Gulf of Mexico. So, you know. By the way, is Gulf of Mexico salt better than other people's salt? Uh, I think it is. Yeah. And, um, you know, people ask that question, but more often they ask, well, is it, does it taste different than sea salt from other places? And the answer is absolutely. It has its own particular character, geography, climate, weather, all of these things play a role in the final mineral content of the water that we collect, and that's what generates the flavor profile. How about for people like me that don't really understand, how is it different than the salt that's on this table here, for instance? Yeah, so when we, when we first sat down, you said, well, we won't need this anymore, referring yeah, to the right. salt shaker. Um, and that's interesting because that's, that's exactly the intended use. We perfectly intend to swap these two things out. And that's because this is what's known as a finishing salt. If you take a look at it, it has a, uh, a flaky oh, yeah. texture. And so this, this is um, you know, salt flavor and salting foods, but it also adds another textural element to the food that you use it on. And so this is to be used anytime that you would use this. Okay. So anytime you get a plate of food that's ready to eat and you're going to put salt on it, use this, not that, and you're adding a textural element as well as a, as a, a more pronounced flavor profile. What about in the preparing of the food? Well, absolutely. So, um, you know, this is, like I said, a boutique product. And so it's obviously more expensive than iodized, you know, salt that you would find on every, in every grocery store. But there are things that you can do with this that you can't do with iodized salt. And um, one of those is a great example for preparing food is if you're going to sear a steak or sear a piece of fish or something like that, then season it with uh, a nice flake finishing salt before cooking instead of an iodized salt or even a kosher salt because the flakes, um, what happens is in that sear, the moisture comes out of the meat and the steam will actually dissolve these flakes and then as it continues to cook, they will actually recrystallize on the surface of the meat and it creates the most beautiful salt-crusted steak you've ever seen. Was this just something you did, like you were the kid that got pails of water out of the, uh, over there living in Pensacola or what? Well, what I, I was, but what hit me was, um, I'm a chef by trade. I've been cooking professionally for over so 20 years. Chefs. Yeah. Is, that makes sense. And, um, you know, I, I'd, I'd cooked in several high-end restaurants and used sea salts from all over the world, you know, specialty salts from everywhere that had anything from, you know, black volcanic ash on them from Hawaii to, you know, the gray sea salts from uh, Brittany and France and, th and things like that. And I always wondered, having grown up in Pensacola on the Gulf, fishing, swimming, you know, trying to surf and all those <laughs> kinds of things, and why isn't there a sea salt from, from this salty body of water, you know? And you did it. Yep. Now, I've got to ask you, you know, <laughs> Phil, you, it's beyond the Peter Pepper. You have uh, another business that I think everybody in Lafayette kind of knows something about. You have perfected what seems to be called drunk chicken. So what's going on? You brought it with you here. What, tell us yeah, how this it, happened. Uh, when I was younger, we would always cook chicken on a beer can. Right. And then, but sometimes you'd close the barbecue pit and the beer can would fall over, the chicken would fall over, the beer would come out put the fire out and you're sitting over there drinking a beer, relaxing, and then you go check it out and everything <laughs> is ruined. So I figured that had to be a better way. So through the course of drinking more beer, you know, we decided, <laughs> hey, let's put this on a tray and let's put sides on it and then later more beer and spikes on it. And then this way you just pour the beer in. All of this is okay. aluminum, but it's food grade aluminum. It's a special aluminum called 5052. And uh, you just pour beer or wine or fruit juice or 
Hawaiian punch, whatever you want in the tube, stand the chicken up whole and it cooks pretty quickly. In the oven, barbecue pit gas grill has a lifetime guarantee and we do pretty good with these too. I can see, do you sell that mainly online or? Uh, we sell them online, but we have stores around in the local area here in South Louisiana. Uh, we had stores really all across the country for a while, but nobody has a clue as to what a beer can, chicken cooking, or That's anything, what I was say. and they don't try it. And so most of the stores quit carrying it because they just couldn't move them fast enough. So you're really, really into this, or you have no idea it exists, right? That's correct, yes. Wow. So people like it because, you know, it's, it's, it's a lifetime guarantee. It's a really nice, clean model, and you can use it in the oven. Most of the time with the beer can, you only can use that in the, in the gas grill or the barbecue pit. So this one. And then we also have a turkey one, and I can tell you a little bit about the turkey one. Yeah. Uh, similar kind of design? It's similar design. It does not have the spikes, and it has handles on it. And uh, the, the thing we have found out through experimentation and stuff is uh, we can take a 14-pound turkey. Normally, that takes you about four hours in the oven. Well, we can take it and put it on our turkey cooker and put it in a garbage can. <laughs> and put the lid on it and cook it in a garbage can in one hour and 15 minutes. And it comes out golden brown, fat-free, tender, and juicy. Phil, I have to ask you, you look like a natural for QVC. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, you know, pitching it on the air? Yes, we did. We made some commercials and stuff like that. But there again, um, it didn't go over quite well. I don't well. know. It's like we put a lot of money into it and everything and, and, and you know, tried that route. Anybody from outside of Louisiana ever tried this? Or maybe people have, I guess, seen it here. We actually, in 2004, we won the American Culinary Institute New Product of the Year Award. <laughs> and uh, it still didn't generate a whole, whole lot of sales that like we would have anticipated. We've done cooking shows on all the TV stations around here, Biloxi, uh, Baton Rouge, Lafayette, Lake Charles, Beaumont. And whenever we do cooking shows on there and the people watch us and see it, then sales, you know, phones start ringing <laughs> off the hook. But in other parts of the country, they think we're crazy. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Phil Gremion, owner of the Spice Company, Papa Gibert, and Peter's Peppers, and Jeremy Connor, founder and owner of Cellar Salt. Jeremy, uh, interestingly, uh, you know, I don't know, if, Jeremy, if you really started with pot, the pails and things out, the, out there, but you've got equipment, and it's probably kind of expensive equipment. Where did you get the funding? So, um, I mean, you're absolutely right. In the beginning, we literally waded into the gulf, into the <laughs> surf with, with five-gallon buckets and put the lids on them and put them in the back of my truck and drove back home. And, uh, <laughs> you know, as, as we realized, there's... When, you, when you're swimming in the Gulf, it tastes like there's a lot of salt in that water. But when you want to extract it, you need a lot of water to make a little bit what of salt. What is that ratio? So we get somewhere between three and four ounces of salt per gallon of water. Oh, okay. Per gallon of seawater. And so if you think about that, that's about two of these jars per gallon. Oh, all right. So if you want to stock a grocery store shelf, then you need lots and lots of gallons of seawater. Um, so... We, uh, we turned, uh, like a lot of people do these days, to crowdfunding. And we ran a Kickstarter campaign. Oh, wow. And uh, we're successfully funded. And so we, we purchased a, a trailer and the, the tank that you described earlier and pumps and hoses and larger pots to cook the water in and, 
and a bunch of other stuff that, that really helped us scale up production. You know you're doing just the opposite as most people. Most people are trying to take the salt out to make fresh water, right? Yeah. They, they, uh, seems like there's got to be a way for you guys to get together. Uh, we've, we've had a couple of conversations with some people in that, in that realm, and um, you know, if we ever <laughs> find someone that wants to do it where the scales of our operations line up, then we might be able to, to do some business together. That would be, I always love something where you've got a part of your business you're throwing away, and somebody else really, <laughs> really Let wants me, it. Can I ask him a question? Sure, absolutely. Does it come in different grain, you know, sizes than this, than these flakes? Like um, finer or coarser or block? Well, to be honest, sometimes it does, but we don't package them differently. So essentially what we try to do is we try to grow the largest crystals that we can. Now at some point they become cumbersome to actually package in a small glass jar like this because they are so big. We've had some that would cover up a quarter in your hand. But uh, yeah, we, we want the salt to be as broadly flaky as possible so that we're maximizing that added texture to the food. Okay, so the bigger pieces you crush down a little bit to get to that? Well, uh, we run we run all of it through uh, you know a mesh sieve that has a large mesh, almost a centimeter. And um, see what happens is these these crystals form on the surface of the water, and so sometimes they grow into each other, and so you have many of them kind of stuck together. And we don't want to package that, and so we run it through that sieve. And uh, this is just about what we end up with right here. I hope you become bigger than Morton's. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank, that, thank what you. What is it? Yeah, when it rains, it pours. You need a slogan. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> from the beach I, guess, I guess we need a slogan. I think I think sometimes a slogan for a for a boutique business almost takes away from yeah, the story of what you're trying to do. Well, you've got a good story with some good <laughs> good photos on it. Uh, Phil, Jeremy, this is the part of the show we call another great idea. Uh, maybe you've got a friend like this, someone who always has a great idea for you. They tell you about this job you should apply for, or, or this guy you should have a cup of coffee with, or a great investment opportunity you should jump on. You can take advice like this and it turns out to be a disaster. You can dismiss this advice and miss out on something that might have turned out really great. Or you can take your friend's advice and it turns out to be the best thing that's ever happened to you. Do you have an example in your life or career of a friend who had a great idea for you and you did take their advice and how did it turn out? I'll start with Phil. Well, uh, in the, when we came up with the design for the ch chicken cooker, we ha I had a, quite a few people telling me, you ought to try this, try that, try this. And in the beginning, you know, I was willing to try just about anything. And some of them proved to be disastrous, so. What were some bad ideas? Well, we had a round one for a while, but it just didn't, um, I don't know why, it just never sold. Never it took just, yet. It couldn't take off or anything. And, and one of the things, <laughs> I guess I learned maybe the opposite is my dad would always, man, use thinner metal, use cheaper this, use <laughs> cheaper that. My dad was always buying the cheapest thing <laughs> around and it would never last. So I learned you gotta get the good stuff to make it last, so I decided I'm gonna make the best chicken cooker. Other people have similar chicken cookers than this. I have a patent on this one, but theirs are similar, but mine is the only one that passed the uh, UL listing test. Oh, yeah. They tested it on barbecue pits. The other one's caught on fire because the chicken's fat would drip down onto the fire <laughs> and catch everything on fire. So mine was the only one that passed the test and I didn't even ask for the test. One of my competitors asked that company to do the testing and they found out about me and they said we want to compare you to them and I said great and I'm sure. the only one that passed so I got very good ratings what on did, that. What does that sell for? This one, the single sells for 45 and it has a lifetime guarantee, and the doubles sell for 65. 
And then we have turkeys that sell for 60. Now, and where would I get that? Would it be more of a grocery store or a hardware store? Or? Both. Uh, we have them like at Guidry's Hardwares, and we have them at uh, like Veyron's and Adrian's and, and Shaston Brothers and Indoor Outdoor Living, different places. And like how that. do you get in the door? I mean, first of all, you, it's like your baby, so I can imagine you're pretty good at selling it. Yeah, we, um, we just pr bring our products, and one of the things we offer that I find that no other company offers is we stand behind our product. Our product, we believe, is the best there is on the market. And if you don't want to sell it in your store anymore, we'll buy it back. So there's no way no, that no you can ever lose money on our product. That's how much we stand behind and believe in our products. Now, now Jeremy, uh, what about yourself? Do you ever get, once you're an entrepreneur, I guess people just have ideas and they want to tell you about it. What have you heard? Well, you know, when you ask me that, the first thing that comes to mind is all of the people talking to me that it took me that it took to convince me to become an entrepreneur and so you know you like I said I'm a chef by trade and yeah, it's quite a sw I, switch isn't it uh, it is it is and uh, so it took it took a long time even after the first time I had collected seawater to make salt and it took even longer than that to decide to turn it into a business and so I'd, I'd seen, you know, some articles in some magazines about chefs using seawater to poach fish in or to brine seafood in and, and things like that. So I said, I want to try that. So one trip back home to Pensacola to visit my family, I, I got some seawater and I brought it back and it lived in a bucket in the, in the walk-in cooler in the restaurant for a while. And we would, you know, bring it out and play around with it and poach giant prawns in or different things <laughs> like that. And, and it was really interesting how you know, seafood poached in the water that it swims in, it, it sort of reinforces the character of that seafood. So if you're eating, you know, redfish or, you know, something like that, and, and you have a, a seawater brine on it that's, you know, a similar water that, uh, that it would live in, it, it tastes more like what it is. It, it reinforces its own flavor, it tastes fresher. But I gotta ask you both, you, your backgrounds, is, you were chefs. And now you're running businesses. I assume your, you know, your educational background wasn't about that. What's been the most challenging thing of going from one step to the other here? You mean from professional cooking to to a business to, person? Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's a lot of hard work to to open and operate a business, and it was it was a lot of hard work to to be a professional chef. I'm not sure what your experience is, Phil, but I'm sure that. If you were a professional cook, that you worked really hard at it because that's well, what it takes. No, I actually never was. I've, I've oh, owned, owned other businesses, right? And this has always been my passion and my hobby. To so cook. that's been more, yeah, right. I'd, I'd cook for uh, events and stuff and people, you know, large catering and stuff like mm -hmm. that. But I never really had a restaurant or anything. But uh, I just like food, <laughs> which can show here. <laughs> <laughs> and what about the business acumen, though? Obviously, well, I owned other businesses, it. and I always like to farm and fool around on the farm. My grandpa had a farm, and I loved going out there when I was a kid. And so, um, you know, my dad would always make us pull weeds in the flower bed, pull weeds, pull weeds in the garden, pull weeds. And I said, man, when I grow up, I'm never going to do that again. I'm going to make sure. Now I do probably ten times that amount. <laughs> <laughs> But it's just something that came about. I had no intention of doing it. And people coaxed me along and said, you know, you, you should sell this stuff. Man, this stuff is good. Your food is so good. Everything is so good. So I had some friends that had a store. And I put it in one store and then another store. And then we became incorporated. And, 
and just like you said, we have inspectors that come by the our facility and come and inspect, make sure you have everything is proper. You can't live where you process food, so we have a separate facility. And, and, and Jeremy, I can ask you, why, why don't you just stay in Pensacola? Well, I love Lafayette. Okay, what, yeah. What's not to love? I, I, but I mean, <laughs> I was. I was out transporting water a long way. I just think. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I want to live in Lafayette. I, I love, I love the character of the city and the and the culture and and honestly, I was I was actually talking to someone else earlier about this today. But people in Lafayette love Lafayette, you know. Right. Whereas in in Pensacola, there's a certain amount of that, but it's. It's also well. I just I just live here, or I, yeah. I like the beach, or you know. That is true. Whereas it's not it's not this love affair with the, the city itself and, and the, the community. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Oh, that is uh, that is <laughs> that is. Well, we're glad you're here. Oh, Don't well, get me you. wrong. I'm thank not trying you. to get you to move to Pensacola. <laughs> this uh, that is great. Now, there's nothing in our daily lives that is much more basic than salt and pepper, or in today's case, salt and Peter Peppers. Uh, Jeremy, Phil, I can honestly tell you that I'm walking away from this conversation with a whole lot more knowledge than I did 30 minutes ago. I, this has been very informative and a fun lunch, and I get the feeling that it's just, just the tip of the iceberg we've got here today. I'm, I'm sure there's more fun to be had and more to learn about salt and Peter Peppers. I look forward to seeing you again in the meantime. Thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> I love this. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Jeremy Connor. He's the founder and owner of Cellar Salt, and Phil Gremion, the owner of Papa Bear and Peter's Peppers. You can find out more about Phil's Peter's Peppers and Jeremy's Sea Salt by following the links on our website, krvs.org and itsacadiana.com. Today's show is recorded live over lunch at Cafe Vermilionville in Lafayette. Cafe V is open Monday through Friday for lunch and six nights a week for dinner with a courtyard that sets the scene for fine Louisiana cuisine. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our researcher is Ann Christian. Our theme song, Encore Monsieur Nice Guy, is written by Mitch Foreman and performed by Mitch Foreman and Andre Michaud. Our Acadiana business consultants are Pete Prados from Innovate Acadiana, Zach Barker from The Opportunity Machine, and Dr. Blake Escaday. If you want to know what we look like, uh, you can find photos from this show on our website and Facebook page. The photos were taken today by Gwen O'Quinn. You can get the show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows. You can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites. It's acadiana.com and krvs.org. Support for Out to Lunch Acadiana comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette, located off Pinhook near Calise Saloon. Wyndham Garden is pet friendly with free parking, free Wi-Fi, and a free shuttle within three miles that includes the airport and downtown restaurants. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. Please join us again next week here around the table at Cafe Vermilionville for more business, Acadiana style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Additional support comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette. Want five-star service from a financial institution you can trust? Whitney Bank has you covered with nearly 200 locations across the Gulf South. So stop by today. Learn more at HancockWhitney.com. Member FDIC.